join me as we turn together in Acts chapter 12. We'll look at the remainder of this chapter today, beginning at verse 6. So grab your Bible and we'll join together in the reading of God's Word. I hope that we have been already reflecting the goodness of God, reflecting on His blessing, and the ability to meet together with the saints of the Lord is not a neglected endeavor on our behalf. I pray that you look forward to the time when God's saints can meet together and pray together and worship together and sing together and navigate through God's Word together. And I will remind you as we are working through the book of Acts that God is all the time working throughout church history. God's hand is at every, in every moment through church history. There have been faithful men and faithful women who have served over the course of church history to the point of death. There have been some who have went to their death to proclaim the name of, of Jesus Christ to the point, of course, when they would when they would suffer at the hands of people who hate the gospel, who hate the name of Jesus. And then there is the other side of the coin altogether. There have been some men and some women over the ages who have sadly brought a reproach onto the name of Jesus Christ. In our society, even those who name Jesus as their Lord and yet have done unspeakable things even in His name, so church history is laden with people who have been faithful to the point of death and others who sadly have brought a reproach to the name of, of Jesus. And for those folks, my cry is simply, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy on those who have stained the name of Christ, who have brought a reproach to the name of of Jesus and who will stand before him one day and who will give an account. Do you know that every person who has ever taken a breath in this life will stand before the holiness of a righteous God? Do you know that we will either stand before the righteousness of God Almighty with the righteousness of Jesus or without his righteousness? And so it proves the point more and more for our lives even though that we are saved by faith through Christ alone, even though we know that we are in Christ, it helps to serve the point more and more that we need His strength and the strength of the Lord every day to press forward in this life together. So the book of Acts is a reminder of that. It helps us to be mindful of how God has worked in and through history and how we can look over the scope of history itself and see where God's hand has been in every, in every era of, of civilization. And so for many of us here today, we can say that we stand on the authority of God's Word. We can say that we have been freed from the burden of sin by forgiveness given by the Lord Jesus Christ. That we can say that we stand upon that firm foundation and that our sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus. I hope that is your case today. I hope that you have said that I am a follower of Jesus. He has me in His hand, and no man will pluck me from His hand. So, 
Jesus is reading in the synagogue. He is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And he is reading a portion that is described by the evangelist Luke in chapter 4 and verse 18. The words that Jesus says in reflection to Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then Jesus would end that discourse and say, Today in your reading has been fulfilled. That he is the one who brings liberty. He is the one that will set free the captive. This came to pass when our Lord Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and suffered the death uh, of a, a criminal's death on a cruel, rugged, uh, rugged cross and, and, and to be a substitute for you and I, to be a substitute for sin. And he was ushered into uh, the tomb of a, of a rich man, one of Joseph of Arimathea, was, was buried in the, in, in the tomb of a rich man only to rise again uh, over death, sin, hell, and the grave. And so this is the Lord that we serve. And so as Jesus says these words, and reads these words from the scroll of Isaiah. My thought on this is, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So I want to talk to you a little today through chapter 12, verse 6 through 25, in a sermon that I have entitled, Freed by Christ. Last week we talked about being bound to Christ, shackled to Christ, bound to Him in our life, in ministry, families, everything that surrounds our life, we are bound to Jesus forevermore. Today we're going we're to look at a physical freeing. We're going to look at a, a liberation, a physical liberation, and draw some comparisons to when Peter is locked up in jail and how he is freed by the Lord, how that is an illustration of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at this physical freeing, this liberation of the Apostle Peter as he was imprisoned by King Herod. Last week we read how James the Apostle was killed and how Peter was imprisoned and, and, and now awaiting trial. That's what we will pick up today. And the question was, if you remember the question from last week, the question was this, why was James killed as a martyr, the first Christian martyr as far as, far as an apostle is concerned, the first uh, apostle martyr for the name of Christ, and then Peter was later, we'll see, set free. Why was one killed and one set free? And the simple and yet complex answer to that, yes, there can be a simplicity and a complexity at the same time. The simple and yet complex answer to this all is because God is sovereign and God is in control of every aspect of this world, every facet of life is under the sovereign rule of the Lord. And as we are working through these passages in the book of Acts, I think that we will see, I think we will have an answer to that question as well that will help to accompany God's sovereignty or help us to get a robust look at His at the Lord's sovereignty. But I want you to remember this. We're working through the book of Acts that is full of miracles. It is full of the apostolic signs and wonders. It is full of the Lord growing His church daily. And every 
miracle, every sign and wonder that we read in the Bible, as we read in the book of Acts, every, every miracle that we see was performed with a purpose in mind. Everything that happens in Scripture, everything that happens in our lives, in your life, everything that, that happens or is sanctioned is by the hand of, by the, hand of the Lord. It has purpose, it has meaning, and it is not our arbitrary. There's, there's no miracle that happens in the Bible that is out of place, and it all happens for a purpose. Now, last week's theme as we were reading through the first five verses of chapter 12, was the theme of God's sovereignty. It was persecution and prayer. Now, today our themes will pick up where we last ended with prayer, provision, doubt, and judgment. So if you were to jot those down as themes for today's sermon, it would be prayer, provision, doubt, and judgment. Prayer, provision, doubt, and judgment. Now, we have a few verses that we're going to work through today. I'm going to be working really through verses 6 through 25, but I want to focus in our reading, in our initial reading from verses 6 through 19. And we're going to, we're going to work through these verses together. And so I'm going to ask you again, I, I know that we have, we have stood up and sat down. I know we have done that this morning. But when we read God's Word, I think it is important that we stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. So let's do that today. Let's stand as we read through these verses. Today's sermon entitled, Freed by Christ. Freed by Christ. And here's what I want you to do as we're reading through this. Here's what I want you to do because Luke paints a glorious picture. What I want us to do is visualize this word picture in our mind. Visualize this in our mind as we hear God's word and as we are ready to unpack God's word together. Let's try to paint this picture together. And we'll do so by beginning in verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, that is Peter, on that very night... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up! The chains fall off his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that Jewish all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. And Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and said, 
tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. And when the day came, there was no disturbance amongst the soldiers amongst uh, what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to this reading. We know that your word is breathed out by you. We pray as we work through this, will you speak to us today, Father, that you would correct us, transform us into the image of your Son, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. All right, so those are the first 19 verses, and we'll end uh, with the end of those verses as well as we look for, as we look at God's judgment upon one Herod, our King Agrippa I. So now here is Peter. He is imprisoned, and he is waiting to go on trial. And unless the Lord intervenes, unless the Lord intercedes, uh, that he would suffer the same judgment as, as James. But I don't want you to get this twisted when we're, thinking, when we're thinking about judgment that is brought on to us as Christ followers by the waking and watching world. Judgment from man is way easier than judgment from God. I would rather suffer from the judgment of humanity than to be against Christ and suffer eternal punishment and judgment forever. In the scheme of eternity, the Apostle James was right where the Lord intended him to be. And he was faithful in standing for Jesus until the very end of his life. And even though we aren't told much about James and his death, we do know that he was the first apostle to be killed for the gospel and found favor in the eyes of the Lord because of the Son, Jesus, the risen Christ. And the same cannot be said for Herod. And we'll see this toward the end with this parallel between judgment of man and judgment from, from God. And, and we will see his judgment at the end of today's narrative. If you'll bear with me, we'll work our way towards the end of this chapter. Now, last time that we left this scene together, the church was praying fervently for Peter. They were praying with arms stretched out, transparent to the Lord God, praying fervently. They meant business, and they trusted God 100% in their prayers. Or did they? Or did they? Their arms were stretched out in fervent, zealous prayer. They were praying for their brother in Christ. And we pick up in verse 6. And we see, unless the Lord intervene, that there will be certain death. And we see this as Peter is rescued from certain death. He is rescued, liberated from certain death. And Herod was about to bring him out after the day of unleavened bread, this festival around the time of Passover. And Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was chained between the two. And the sentries at the door were standing and guarding. So you had 16 soldiers all together, four on a watch at a time every three hours, two at the door, two guarding the prisoner. And here they are, two at the door, and Peter is in between two with chains. Herod is about to bring Peter out to stand trial. And it may be implied that if the Lord does not intervene, that he would also be executed. Because remember, King Herod was a people pleaser. He wanted to please the Jewish people. He wanted the, the acclaim, the notoriety, the fame. He wanted to be liked. 
And Herod was this people pleaser. So his plan was to wait until after the festival. Didn't want to stir, stir them up too much. So he waited for the festival of unleavened bread, uh, which was a festival with this very foundation is on liberty and freedom anyway. And he wanted to place Peter on trial after this festival. So here's a person, the apostle Peter. Here's a person who is at peace with God. And how do we know that Peter is at peace with God? Well, it tells us in the Word that Peter was asleep between two soldiers. Sound asleep. Listen, I've never been arrested. I've never had to do time in jail. I've never had to face uh, the prospect of being executed. I've never had that thought. I've never been arrested. I've never been detained. But I am sure that unless I have I have or had the assurity of Christ, I would probably lay awake and not have any other concern on my mind, but Lord, how am I going to get out of this? I know I'm going to die tomorrow, but here is Peter fast asleep. There is nothing more horrifying. There is nothing more horrifying than the prospect of facing the holiness of God without the imputed righteousness of Jesus applied. And I believe that this is Peter's rest. This is his assurity in the imputed righteousness of Jesus. And even if the Lord did not intervene, even if the Lord did not intervene, he would find himself in the presence of Christ, the treasure of heaven forever and ever and, and ever. So he is fast asleep. He is demonstrating the effects of peace, the peace that Jesus brings, the peace of conscience, the peace of assurance, the blessed assurance, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Amen. Blessed assurance, that is his assurance. Have you ever heard someone say, nothing is too big for God? We've heard that, we've probably even said that often. Nothing, nothing is too big for the God that we serve. And, and I know that there's a bit of a superficial facade to that statement. Sometimes we throw it out. Nothing's too big for God. But to be chained to two guards and the Lord set you free without waking them up, I think that that certainly applies here. He wakes, he, he wakes up Peter, sets him free. Here, I want you to get the picture. He is chained between two guards, one on each side. Verse 7 says that the angel came into the cell and, and there was a light that shone. I don't, I don't know about you, but if somebody turns the light on in my room, I'm going to wake up. So it probably gives us the indication that the two guards didn't even see the light. And so this light shone and he struck Peter. Get up! Wake up! The chains fall off his hands. So God's messengers were sent to free Peter. But first, you've got to wake him up. Okay, either these guards are the worst guards on the planet or the Lord shut their ears to the sounds, their eyes from seeing the light that filled that room and their bodies from feeling the pressures of chains falling to the ground. Does God provide? This is where the messenger began to point Peter towards a jailbreak. And the angel bumps him to wake him up and to get up quickly. And the chains fell off. And the angel said, now dress yourself and put on your sandals. All this and the guards are still asleep. Wrap yourself in your cloak and you follow me. And they went out. He did not know what was being done. Verse 9, if, it was, if the angel was real and he thought that he was seeing a vision. You remember Peter had a vision once before, if you remember 
had a vision of a sheet coming from heaven, and on that sheet were animals. Remember the house of Cornelius? So he thinks that he is having another, another vision. And the angel gave him instruction, get up, get dressed, wrap in a cloak, and to follow him. The Lord provided another great prison break for the apostle Peter. So it's not Peter's time to be a martyr. In fact, Peter will give the gospel ministry another 20 years before he will be martyred. 20 more years of ministry before Peter will die a martyr's death. Look at the remainder of this escape. They passed the first and second guard. Again, these are either the worst guards on the planet or the Lord blinded them for a season. They came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they, and, and, and they went out along the street. And as they did, the, the angel immediately left him. No doubt this was an act of the Lord. Everything seemed to be stacked up against Peter's escape. There is nothing, there's nothing that our Lord cannot, cannot do for the cause of the gospel. Here's the thing about it. If the Lord desired to do so, he could have carried him away. He could have placed him right in the middle of the praying church. As they are open hand praying, fervently praying, the Lord could have snapped his fingers and Peter could have been right in the middle, answered prayer. But everything that happens in the Bible happens for a reason. Everything that happens in Histories, especially for the kingdom of Christ, happens for a reason. And everything is about shaping and molding and building disciples and giving glory to God. And so, yes, they can give story after story about how God has moved. Chains fell off. The guards were zonked out. The iron gates opened and Peter walks out. And I submit to you, in this physical liberation, there is also a parallel, an application, an illustration of the freedom that we have in Christ. See, the church was praying hard for Peter. They had prayed, and they had a meeting, a prayer meeting. They were hard at it, praying for their brother in Christ. And the, and the Lord certainly, again, had intervened for Peter, and that he would be freed from this certain death, and, and there's a, a remarkable and outstanding contrast here that I think that we see. And here's the contrast. Herod proposes a trial and death, but God gives freedom and liberation. One could say that God sovereignly arranged liberation and true freedom. Another contrast would be that James was suddenly apprehended and taken off and killed, but God provided a time for the church to pray for Peter as he was freed. Where the enemy has come to condemn, where the enemy comes to condemn you on every little mistake that you make, on every little thing in your life, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Liberation from condemnation. And even though this historical event happened in real time and, and was brought to pass by God's sovereign intervention, there is another truth to consider. 
that while we were imprisoned by the stain of sin and death, I want you to listen to me. While we were imprisoned by the stain of sin and death, Christ Jesus came to set the captive free. While we were dead in our trespasses in sin and had no spiritual vitality or health at all, forever on the path of destruction, with the prospect of facing the consuming judgment of God Almighty, He came to set the captive free. While we were on our way to the second death, the eternal judgment of God, He came to set the captive free. While we were chained to sin and despair, Jesus came to set the captive free by His vicarious death on the cross, by His burial in the tomb of a rich man and His glorious resurrection. And by this glorious gospel, Jesus set the captive free. He brings dead men and women back to life. While we were dead men walking, the Bible tells us Christ came to die for the sinner. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and I. He has set the captive free. The chains of sin have fallen off. You should not be shackled to sin anymore. The gate of separation because of sin has been flung open by the risen Christ. The separation of sin and death has now been opened by the finished work of Christ. And now we can approach God the Father boldly in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He came to set the captive free. Let me reiterate for you this. In Luke chapter 4, 18, he said... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty. Not only to proclaim liberty, but to provide liberty. Not to set the captive, not to just proclaim this uh, freedom from captivity, but to actually do it and then recover sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is the God we serve. This is the God we worship. And so now he's making his way back to where the church is meeting. Peter is making his way back there, which is one by the name of Mary, another Mary in the Bible. This is John Mark's mother. And all of a sudden, Peter came to himself in verse 11. And he said, now I know that the Lord has sent this angel. He came to himself, snapped out of it. This is real. This is a real thing. And this angel has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people they were, expecting, they were expecting Peter to come on trial and he's going to die just like, just like James. And he realized this. He went to Mary's house, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. This is John Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And they were praying, but did they trust that God was going to grant deliverance? We learn, even in spite of ourselves, even in spite of ourselves, that God is faithful. Even in spite of who we are, God is faithful even amidst doubt. Even when we doubt, God is faithful. The Bible tells us in verse 13, He knocked on the door of the gateway and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice and in her joy she did not open the gate, but she ran in and she reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now here's Peter. He's standing out this small outside door, which was at the entrance in the street. And a servant girl by the name of Rhoda, which means a rose, is more than just a servant girl. 
She is part of the family. Her reaction indicates that she was just like a family member. She was well known in this household. And what does she say? Well, the Bible tells us that she recognized the voice of Peter. It means that she was part of this gospel community. So if I was going to just kind of add a little sub-point here of application, the, another benefit of doing life together, spending life together one with another, is that we get to know one another. We get to grow close one with another. God has not saved any any person to be that lone ranger follower of Christ. He hasn't saved you to be an isolationist. He has saved you for His glory, and He has saved you to be part of community. And we get to know one another, and she is a good example of that. But I regress. She darts in, she tells the group that Peter is at the door, and they, they believe her immediately, they rush him in, and they had a welcome home party. Is that what that says? They say to her in verse 15, you're out of your mind. She kept in insisting it was so. But they said to her, well, it's his angel. You're out of your mind. Wait a minute. I mean, I thought that they were praying earnestly. I mean, weren't they praying earnestly? And we even said, man, that's a good example of prayer. Transparency open before the Lord, not that we can hide anything from Him anyway. They were praying earnestly for Peter. And to be fair, we're not told whether or not they were fervently praying for Peter's release, but we do know that they were praying for Peter nonetheless. They literally told this girl, you're mad. That's literally what that means. You're out of your mind. You're mad. You're crazy. You're seeing things. But let me remind you, did God intervene by the resurrection of Jesus? Did God intervene? Yes. Did God intervene by indwelling them with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Did God intervene once before when He broke Peter out of prison earlier? Yes. If we were to rewind all the way back to the beginning, does God intervene in history? Did God bring His people out? Every time you work through God's Word there in an era of history, God always reminds His people, this is what I've done. By my mighty hand, I have rescued you and brought you out of, of bondage over and again. God intervened once before. Why is this so hard for us to understand? It's a classic example of allowing one's circumstances, things in life, to cloud the providence of God. Not, not that we cl cloud God's actual providence. Because you will not stand in the way of God's providence and His sovereignty. I will remind you of that. But what does become cloudy is our lack to see when God is providing. And so these circumstances have clouded their view of God's providence. And the probability of Peter being released was probably small. But let me ask you this, when we talk about probability, who placed the laws of probability and truth into the fabric of the cosmos anyway? Where does probability come from? Where does logic come from? Where does reason come from? Who bends them to His will? Not only can God bend them to His will, but God has moved mightily before. Why not now? 
And so when they insisted that this is just his angel, which, by the way, is a little bit more far-fetched to believe that than it would that God can rescue a man from prison. And by the way, this is a Jewish belief that everyone has a guiding or protecting angel. In today's vernacular, we would call this a guardian angel. This is their belief. They thought that a person's guiding angel would sometimes assume their appearance of, of the one that they were protecting. And so this is where this stems from. But they did not believe that it was Peter. And so what does Peter do in verse 16? He continues knocking, and when they opened, they saw that it was him. They were amazed. <laughs> they were just praying. Why are they amazed? Listen, does this somehow sum up our prayer life? When we pray and pray, God, forgive, uh, God save someone. And God saves them, and they're like, oh, I really, really didn't think that you were going to save them. We pray for healing for somebody, and then they're healed, and we're like, hmm. Didn't really think you were going to do that, Lord. And they saw that it was him. They were amazed. And Peter says, be silent. And he described to them all that happened and how the Lord broke him out. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And they departed and, they, and then went to another place. So me, Peter is now motioning down, keep quiet. A noise might excite the neighboring Jewish community and produce danger. But he does, says, he does say this, Go tell or testify these things to James, the son of Alphaeus, and to the other apostles. Yes, it is important to tell and to testify when God is at work. First, we testify of the good news. That the good work ultimately is Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That he died a sinner's death and rose again. That is the that is the primacy of our testimony. Christ's, Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection. And then sometimes when things happen in our life, measurable things that God does in our life, I believe we ought to tell those things. I believe we ought to tell and testify when God is at work. Even when you are at your lowest and doubting Know this, maybe this is for somebody today. Even when you are at your lowest, even when you are at doubt, doubting God, He is still at work. He is still at work. Now, we are not told where Peter went, but we do know where he was not by seeing where Herod went. The Bible tells us that the days came, there was no disturbance amongst the soldiers over what had become of Peter in this jailbreak. Herod had searched for Peter and did not find him. He examined the sentries, the guards. He, he pressed them, interrogated them, and then he ordered them to put to death. Then he went down to Caesarea and Judea, and he spent time there. Now, I want to just highlight a few things. Luke turns his attention to add the book ends to the life and death of, of Herod and these apostles. If uh, You'll notice in verse, uh, the very end of of chapter 11, you'll notice in verse 20, the very end of that, now Paul and, and Saul, uh, Paul and Barnabas had gone down to Antioch, had gone to Antioch to spend time there in gospel community. They taught there, they preached there, they investigated there, they engaged the culture there. And so by the time verse 12 comes, it's like an intermission of sorts. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 12, we'll see this picking up again. So in a way, Luke is adding a book in here in chapter 12. 
He turns his, his attention to this book in and now is looking at King Herod, the beginning of the book and towards the end of the book. Just know this, okay? King Herod, wicked, did evil in the sight of the Lord. I want you to know this, that God puts rulers and kings in place to carry out His divine plan. We might not like them. We might not agree with them. In fact, our worldview might be vastly different. But know that nothing sifts through the hands of our God unaware. Everything has purpose, and King Herod's purpose was clear. King Herod's presence as king fits these parameters. God is at work. God is using this king to somehow grow his kingdom, Christ's kingdom. By pressing and persecution, the church spread. The guards who were watching over Peter, they were ordered to be put to death. And no doubt this would help Herod save face with the Jewish community, since indeed he was a people pleaser. And he could say it was the guards' fault. And this is commonplace for those who have a large ego. When something goes wrong that they are at fault, they blame others. They look for others to blame. They look for others to cover up their sins and their crimes. And unbeknownst to this praying church, God would have His will and His way with this narcissistic King Herod. Read with me the remainder of this chapter and we'll close out this time together in God's Word. Verse 20, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on this royal robe. He took a seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting after this oration, the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Well, he was a sinner. He's not going to. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last breath. Listen to verse 24. But the word of God increased and was multiplied. Barnabas and Saul, so here's the end of the bookends. Paul and Saul, uh, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so this narrative is one of God intervening and protecting His people, progressing the gospel. And until the work be done, let me say this, until the work is done, God protects and God provides. But on the flip side, here is Herod. So here, the title of this sermon in your bulletin is Judged, and freed by Christ. Who is judged? Who is freed? Who is really bound here? Who is really bound? And we see that Herod, here is Herod, this egotistical king. He needed to have his ego inflated often, and so he was a people pleaser. They delegated the food to Tyre and Sidon. They needed the supply from King Herod. And they sought to flatter or to win over King Herod. They sought to pad his ego. And Herod was the equivalent of today, like today, uh, people who might get on social media who are consumed with what other people think about them in a narcissistic way. 
So people will post on social media pictures of themselves, not that that's wrong in and of itself, but in a, a narcissistic way. And, and today's social media platforms and today's online presence, man, it just feeds the beast of narcissism. He wore the royal robe to say, look at me. He wore the royal garments made of silver. According to the historian Josephus, as he was out in the sunlight and the sunlight hit the jewels and the things on that robe, it, it reflected in the sun when the rays hit it just right. He was like the Ric Flair of kings. You ever seen Ric Flair with the, the big robe? Here is King Herod. And all the lights would hit, hit the robe and, and emanate out. But here is where Herod would take credit. He would take credit for himself and not attribute glory to God. And then the Lord struck him down in a horrific way. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last breath. Again, I would rather suffer the judgment at the hand of humanity as I have retained my identity in Christ than to suffer the immediate and irreversible judgment of a holy and righteous God. Some suggest that Herod died of intestinal worms. Some historians have wrote that Herod was eat up with worms on the inside and this was his death. And if that is so, here's the irony. Because here's a man who seemed to be glorious on the outside. In fact, if you'll see that, it said, well, this is a voice of a God and not of a man. So here's a man who, was, who had all the trappings of, of, of being a glorious leader, had the appearance of being glorious on the outside and was rotting with worms on the inside. And so it is with vanity and pride. And it shows that the Lord's work will carry on in spite of vengeful rulers and doubting church people. We kind of get a visual of two. Vengeful rulers and doubting church people. Listen, if you tell me that you're praying for me, I want you to mean it. The word of the Lord, the Bible says, God increased and multiplied. The word of, the, of God increased and multiplied and has never really slowed down. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Simply amazing. Simply amazing. This is the God that is working in and through circumstances. Again, let me say this. You might be here today, and you might be doubting the work of the Lord, and you might be down in the low and the dumps. I've got to say this. God is still at work. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you know him as Lord, he is, he is at work. What is he at work? What is he doing? Number one, he's bringing glory to himself. He wants the glory. He will not take second place. He is freeing the captive. He's bringing hope to the doubtful. He is judging the wicked and the prideful. And then, then he is sending people out to fulfill the commission and to make disciples. I think one of the most reassuring verses in this, from King Herod's judgment and his death, to Peter's release and James' death, 
one of the most reassuring verses in chapter 12 is verse 24. The word of the Lord increased and multiplied in spite of vengeful leaders and in spite of a doubtful church. So let's pray together. Mm -hmm.